Hello, everybody, and welcome back to The Late Sub. We have a super week for you. We have a lot going on. There are some huge international football implications happening this week. We've got another really wacky week of college basketball. Um, In fact, what we're going to do is we're going to start focusing in on some of the bigger picture of some of these bigger sports. So what we have for you today is a super episode just on the U.S. Women's National Team and the Gold Cup. If you guys have been following along, there have been some downs and some ups and some downs. So first, we're going to address uh, Monday's loss against Mexico, and then we are going to have a fabulous chat with Sandra Herrera of CBS Sports talking big picture Gold Cup and some of the highs, perhaps, of the first two games of the United States 2024 campaign. We, uh, we came back together here on Tuesday, February 27th. It is the morning of Tuesday, February 27th to address the United States game on Monday night, which was their group stage closer against Mexico, because that is worth discussing immediately, which is that the U.S. lost that game two to nothing against Mexico. Um, that's the first time that Mexico has defeated the United States since 2010. That is the first time the United States has lost to CONCACAF competition in the United States since 2000. And it is the first time that they have ever lost a game in the state of California. Um, I would say it was interesting, (laughs) but I think actually what makes it interesting is that it wasn't really that interesting at all or necessarily that surprising outside of some of the individual issues that the United States had. Um, Mexico looked really, really good in their game against the Dominican Republic. They put a lot of goals on that team. And that was the most complete Mexico performance I've seen in, I think, my adult life. Again, talking about um, going back to the last time Mexico beat the U.S. Or most complete performance I've seen them them play against the United States. Um, They were really, really tactical with their defensive press. They were coming in not only to pressure people on the ball, but they also cut off passing lanes. Um, I think they were really, really smart to try some goals from distance. Both of the goals scored. One was off of a defensive error from Becky Sauerbrunn, but it was a beautiful lob from Jackie Ovalle. And then the second goal was just a banger from distance late in the game. Shooters shoot. If you watch uh, Liga Emeki's Feminil, you know that those players are not afraid to shoot from distance. So, what happened? If you're catching up, you're 2024, you're thinking, what? The vibes are good. They've got this new coach. We're trying new things. We're, we're doing all these, you know, we're, this is the new U.S. Women's National Team. They're fun. They're exciting. And, and my conversation with Sandra that I recorded yesterday will reflect that. We will get to some of the positives. But I think that it's worth getting into what went wrong a little bit without making too many declarative statements over one game. So I want to talk about the starting lineup real quick. Um, Sandra and I are about to discuss how well we think the United States teenagers have done at the Gold Cup this year. We talked a little bit about the gap that we see between those truly younger players coming in that are fearless and the older players, the veterans that have a lot of experience. And just think on kind of those two groups of talent of, of talent when I lay out this list. So U.S. starting 11 was Alyssa Nair, Abby Dahlkemper, Becky Sauerbrunn, Lynn Williams, Lindsey Horan, Sophia Smith, Roosevelt, Sam Coffey, Crystal Dunn, Trinity Rodman, and Emily Fox. So I believe of that list, the only player that did not have World Cup experience was Sam Coffey. Um, Obviously, a number of these players had many World Cups uh, behind them. 
this is an older back line. This is a back line reminiscent of the pairing that we saw in 2019. Um, this, to me, at the very beginning of this game when they announced this lineup was me going, oh, is this the, the team settling into what they consider to be their experience lineup? Is this perhaps them taking this game um, a little more seriously? This is less about experimentation and more about settling down into uh, an 11 that they want to take into the knockout stages. I'm going to be completely honest. I asked myself, is Naomi Gurma dealing with a fitness issue? Why have we only seen her for one game? You guys know two weeks ago, two, three weeks ago, I said I didn't want to see much of Alyssa Nayer in this group stage. She started two games in the group stage, the first and the third. This is one of those lineups that reminded me a lot of Vladko Andonovsky's approach, to be frank, where you can see kind of why they put this group together, what they were basing it on, which is a lot of experience, the ability theoretically to control tempo, one would think, um, with a certain amount of quality on the ball, calm on the ball, um, retain possession, don't give Mexico too many chances, uh, and, and control the game while saving legs for the knockout stage. And what actually happened was some truly kind of alarming performances or lack of cohesion that made you go, oh, maybe we need to see more of a full rebuild from this team. Now, all the same caveats apply. This is NWSL preseason. The U.S. doesn't always look very good at the beginning of the calendar year, all of this stuff. And I also just want to keep crediting Mexico. Um, when I criticize the United States, I'm criticizing them the same way I would criticize them against like Portugal last year in the world cup or criticize them against um, against world cup competition, for example, or like that, that draw that they got against Colombia at the end of last year, Mexico played like a world cup team last night. Um, the center back pairing of Dahl Kemper and Sauerbrunn did not look particularly comfortable on the ball. The spacing was very, very conservative despite leaving a lot of space in transition. Um, Mexico's game plan was incredibly sound, which is that when they did get the ball, they didn't try to hold on to it for too long. They had some pretty nice diagonal long ball passing to probe that center back pairing. And that was when you saw the opener. It was a beautiful long ball targeting Sauerbrunn. Um, they pulled Dunn forward. Dunn gets pulled forward. She can't make the recovery run. Sauerbrunn is stuck in a 1v1 situation. And you see a brilliant strike, a brilliant little lob um, from distance. Saw Dahl Kemper slow, slow to touch the ball. Um, it really seemed like the only player that was presenting some sharpness was Emily Fox. But then Fox kind of needed to cover too much ground to be effective in the defense. Again, I don't know how to speak unilaterally about what these players are going to look like this summer, but I must say that the concern in terms of form, fitness, experience, and the coaching philosophy here, uh, what, was this, what, what was your plan for recovery speed on the back line? What was the plan for, for that, that quick press, long ball? This was a very direct style of play from Mexico. They played into their strengths really well. These are mostly players who are in season in Liga Emekis Femenil. They're more played in. They looked better individually, and they look better as a team. So the U.S. looked a little bit naive, and I think that was a word that we used a lot in the Andonovsky era, that slow start coming in, thinking they're going to be able to control traffic, control tempo. Suddenly a team shoves them a little bit, pops them a little bit, and they don't know how to recover. That was what we saw in the first half of this game. The subs didn't really necessarily make it super better. I think when you make a mistake with your back four, um, I know that they had been playing in sort of this uh, 3-4-2-1, um, or sorry, 
three, two, four, two, three, one, but they, they had to sit more into a four back as it was clear that they were getting burnt in transition. When you make that kind of mistake with your defensive personnel, it limits what you can do with your subs, the subs themselves, rather than again, putting those teenagers on, putting those less experienced players on. We saw Alex Morgan come in. This is, I don't think there was a lot Alex Morgan could do. They placed her out wide. Um, and actually, I think maybe the thing that should both concern and calm U.S. fans the most is that this was after the game was was increasingly out of reach. It wasn't necessarily that they that the U.S. picked up tempo. They actually slowed things down a little bit in the final 15 minutes, and it looked like they were getting more chances. They were getting more looks. Um, but there is, I think, a genuine question here. Again, you go back to that starting 11. You go to that starting midfield of Coffey, Lavelle, and Haran, and then they brought Emily Sonnet on in, in the second half to try to, to calm things down. I suppose they brought Alex Morgan on. They brought more experienced players on more players from the 2023 world cup. Um, and I think the bigger picture question in the failure to make an equalizer, a failure to come back. Um, I, I don't actually blame anyone for that final strike. They were pushing for a goal. It was a quick transition and that was an incredible strike for Mexico at the end of the game. Um, is, is this the group? It's the same question, I think, over and over and over again. 2022, 2023, 2024, these players, this lineup, these experienced players with World Cup experience, you're going to hear Sandra and I talk about 2023 sort of in this rearview mirror of, did we learn anything from that tournament? Did the U.S. walk away from that feeling like they had built in experience for players that needed it or tactically had made any sort of headway with the style of play that they want to play? I don't think we saw that last night. I think we saw Twyla Kilgore um, go back to some of the safety that we saw a lot with the Andonovsky era that did not work. And then also she didn't really know how to adjust in the moment, which I think puts the U.S. in a tricky position because they have a new coach coming in in a couple of months who is not in camp. She's going to have a lot of tape to react to, but she's not the one making these changes. She's not the one adjusting the approach here. Um, and this is the downside of having a long-term interim before you have a head coach come in in crunch time. So I present this to you, the United States women's national team fan. Let's, let's hold hands. Let's close our eyes and let's think. I think the U S has always had an okay opinion of papering over cracks with experience. So long as you get the result, I think last night, perhaps in an Andonovsky uh, game, maybe they got out just a really ugly nil-nil draw out of that. Um, they make the defensive adjustments. They maybe put out a different starting back four, and they do not put anything exciting up going forward, but they hold Mexico off, and they draw nil-nil, and they say, okay, we won the group. That was scary, but we won the group. We didn't lose the game. That didn't happen. The cracks are too wide. The papering over isn't working. It might be because... We, there's an interim manager. It might simply be because these players are out of form and they're older and they don't have the pace to back it up. So what happens now? I go back kind of to what I said at the very beginning of uh, our chats about the U.S. this year, which is what do we want to get out of this? If you're losing, were you brave? And I think what we did not see in that game was a brave team with a brave lineup lose. We saw a team trying to hold off a negative result with players that don't necessarily need to be out there on the field right now, and they still lost. 
we can get into the larger mentality, mystique, leadership. Those are all really important. And I do not know exactly how you address them without the permanent head coach there. That's going to be probably lying on those experienced players um, in the same way that that was their responsibility in the last couple of years. And I think you could see the strain of that um, in the 2021 Olympics and the 2023 World Cup. Um, So all of that being said, if things aren't working, you should shake things up because if you're going to lose, you should do it while learning something. And that has been the mantra, I think, for the United States truly since 2019. And they still have not struck that balance well. They do make it into the knockout stages. I still actually like their chances in the quarterfinals. I don't think this particular performance necessarily means that we're not going to see them in the later stages of this tournament. Um, But full credit to Mexico. Fantastic game plan. What growth from World Cup qualifying in 2022. That was a great game in many ways, if you were not a United States fan, I suppose. Um, And then for the U.S., I know you have to manage fitness. I know this is inopportune timing. But like I said, if you're going to lose, lose big, be brave, start the young players, let them fail, because this approach hasn't been working for a long time and increasingly is not working as the tactical awareness of the teams that you are playing grows and changes. So if that bummed you out, (laughs) we're about to go back in time to yesterday when I had a wonderful chat with Sandra Herrera of CBS Sports about the United States' first two games of the group stage, which actually did have a lot of positives. And I think perhaps hopefully with this addendum and that conversation, you'll see the big picture. Do you want to dive deeper into women's sports news of the week? You can get the latest news delivered straight into your inbox. That's right. You can start your morning off right five days a week with the Just Women's Sports newsletter, our free daily newsletter that brings you the latest and greatest in women's sports. Whether it's breaking news, exclusive conversations, or just a cool stat that you might be missing, we've got you covered. So never miss a story on women's sports. You can subscribe for free at justwomensports.com backslash newsletter. That's justwomensports.com backslash newsletter. And we'll see you in your inbox. All right, so this is a very exciting day on the late sub. In the late sub history, we have our first ever guest, and it could not be a better person. This is Sandra Herrera, soccer writer, podcast host for CBS Sports, and also just my good friend. Hey, Sandra, how's it going? That you buried the lead. That's what you should have led with. Uh, it's awesome. It's going awesome. I mean, look, I don't want to date ourselves here, but it's been pretty nice out here in Chicago in February. True. Um, so it's been nice to have the nice weather. And uh, it was great to hear from you saying like, hey, let's pod. And I said, yeah, let's do this. Yeah. So Sandra and I have been chopping it up in, in these soccer streets for many, many years on, on many different levels. But that's what made her so perfect to bring on to the late sub this week because we're going to be getting into the Gold Cup. We have two U.S. games to talk about, two full rounds of the Gold Cup group stage. We're recording this on Monday, as we always do, so final round begins this evening. We're going to have another fun section where we talk about things and predict things, and we'll find out later if we're right. Um, we're going to jump right into the U.S. and then look a little bit bigger picture in a minute. So the United States opened their group, st- group stage campaign with two wins. A 5-0 win over Dominican Republic, 4-0 win over Argentina. Seemed like we got a mix of some of that kind of Twilight Kilgore pragmatism combined with some Emma Hayes tinkering. Sandra, I'll let you take it first. Big picture, overall impressions of what we saw from the first two games for the U.S. in 2024. 
refreshing like on, honestly like that's been my kind of biggest takeaway from the early group stage uh, i think heading into this that's those were things on my my, my own wish list for the gold cup and the uswnt i was like okay it's a quote-unquote inaugural version of this tournament you know it, it's like for years Concacaf found themselves putting on competitions for senior women's national team but for a long time they were always tied to like qualification processes so whether it was like um you know world cup or olympics it's like here you also get a trophy with it so it was nice to kind of have this its own iteration for senior women's national teams and with all new things brings lots of excitement no matter who you are i think but for the united states having interim head coach twyla kilgore knowing there's going to be an incoming manager and emma hayes i was like I want to see different stuff. Like just to put it simply, I want to see player rotation. We want to see different starting 11s. We want to see more specifically like different units of players. Like we want to see those trios or those duos kind of getting more minutes with each other, more time for less cap players. And um, these two couple games in the group stage, I think you kind of delivered on that already. Well, talking about different stuff, I mean, I think that the talk of the first two games have to be either like new faces or truly these teens, right? We got some U.S. Women's National Team teenagers stepping up, balling out. Olivia Moultrie had a brace in the first game against Dominican Republic. Jaden Shaw had a brace in the second game against Argentina. You can go to the U.S. Women's National Team's like Twitter page and they'll be like, this is the first time since 1991 that this has happened. And this is the first time ever that these things have happened. We're seeing some <laughs> unprecedented success from the teens. How excited should we be about these young players? And for you, are they making legitimate cases, do you think, for this Olympic roster this year? Or is this truly evaluating for 2027 for you? I think they're making a case. I, I really do. I think I think at this point, I think we have, we, have, we all spoke so much about who that next uh, USWNT manager is going to be and how ultimately we all viewed it kind of similarly where it was like, okay, U.S. soccer has conceded a little bit of buildup to the Olympics in order to get their ideal candidate. And if we're looking at that kind of concept on the higher level and the coaching side of things, I don't know why we can't have a similar perspective of like, yeah, sure, we're five months out for the Olympics, so why not get some of these kids a run out in a major. Right. There's tournament. no reason to like paper over anything, <laughs> yeah. right? Like we're, 100%. we are exposing the cracks and the good news is that these kids are balling. Why, why go all out to worry too much about cohesion going into the Olympics when we have this coaching situation, right? Yes. hundred percent. And I, and I think, look, this is sports, right? It's we're talking to, we're talking about women's sports because they're sports. And I think kind of looking into this gold cup, we all were kind of like, all right, there's a little, there's a bit of a major tournament here for them to kind of get a crack at. And then they're still going to also have, she believes cup. And then there's going to be an Olympics. Like there are some opportunities here. So why not? And so I love that Olivia Moultrie got off to a really good start in that opening game. I know we're both very high on Jaden Shaw and really rate her. I think at this point, you, 
there's an argument for Jaden Shaw to absolutely have a spot on this Olympic roster. I think if you're looking at a 23 player roster from the world cup and how you have to narrow that down to 18, well, who can possibly be left off and who could possibly quote unquote, take a space. I think Jaden Shaw is one of those players. I think there's an argument to be made that there are some players who are on the outside looking in right now who are not part of this camp, whether it's a Sofia Huerta or an Ashley Sanchez who are not in the, haven't been in these last couple camps and who are not in this gold cup that are maybe taking a look at themselves and what's happening in this gold cup and maybe challenging themselves to have a really good opening NWSL season because Olivia Moultrie or Jaden Shaw are absolutely delivering both for club and now at this point for country. I specifically think Shaw, and I've, I've talked about this before, probably on like many different <laughs> channels. One of the things that she really has over even perhaps like a Moultrie or some of the other players that she's competing with is her versatility, right? Like these two mm -hmm. goals against Argentina are actually like the perfect example. One of them was this really sick uh, a shot from wide. She's really good from wide angles. She lined up kind of ostensibly as a winger in that game. Yeah. And then also her second goal was this just like laces through it, perfect strike centrally. So she's a player that can play winger. She's a player that can play in that sort of false nine playmaking role. Do you think there's room? This is like big picture stuff. Do you think there's room yeah. on an Olympic roster for, or maybe the better question is, we have our specialists on the U.S., right? We, we have our players that we know are really good in one specific role. Do you think that element of versatility could be the kind of thing that gets a player like Shaw into a roster like this one? Yeah, I I do. I don't I don't think it's too early enough. Yeah, it's all big picture, but I don't think it's too early enough to at least sort of kind of it's an label asset, her. At least, yeah, to what it's she a can little do, yeah. like here are the things that she can provide for for the team. And we hear so much about how when you enter those types of major international tournaments, how important it is to strike balance. Whether that roster mm -hmm. is twenty three people long or eighteen people long, the whole idea of like there has to be a good balance. You have to have your um, players who are in their prime, your present day, you know, usual suspects, as you're alluding to, you will even have to have maybe a veteran or two who have been there before and can make sure that this team is kind of all together. And you've, and that also includes having some young ones, some, some less capped players, less experienced players. And in the United States case, I think maybe that we're alluding to that, that it means teenagers in, in, in this aspect. Yeah, so right. um, I'm with it. I think there's room for it, whether, like I said, whether it's 23 or 18, that, that there can be a uh, room for, for a player like Shaw. And I think something like her versatility is only going to add to her case. Yeah. I think that's a really good point too. Cause I think, especially with this roster and this will kind of seg into, I think the next topic of conversation, which I think a lot of people have been interested in is sort of that ever changing center forward position that got so yeah. disrupted at the beginning of last week. And we've seen a variety of different things. Um, but what does it say? This is the last question kind of really focusing on this next generation. And I think you can include young players like Corbin Albert in that you can even probably go back to say Naomi Gurma is in this role. If you look at sort of that five year yeah. period of, of this next generation of players and there is here's, this is my big question. My big kind of thing that I have have brewing, which I'm curious to see how this looks in the context of an Emma Hayes roster, which is, is the U.S. going to start maybe just having these two generations with a little bit of a gap in between mm. where they're comfortable with their like veteran, veteran players and they're comfortable with the really young ones? Because we saw that World Cup roster last year get kind of filled in with a lot of these really quality league players who are maybe in their mid to late 20s. Those are not necessarily the players we see as much in this camp. 
do you think that there might be some some longtime veterans involved here this summer plus some truly young players yeah i do i don't i don't think i, I look again balance is all relative and it's it, we're not the coaches and they're the ones that are going to have to nail down those those 18 names to to a list but again i just think for bigger picture purposes i don't yeah, know exactly. if this olympics this paris olympics is actually included in that if anything i feel like this paris olympic games is really truly going to be the catapult for what it means in 2027 so all this these little areas of concession to get your ideal head coach to to make sure you're getting less cap players or newer faces in camp like all of those small little concessions that you're making right now i think will continue it, it, it's a good possibility that it can continue into the olympic games for 2027 so um i wouldn't and i also wouldn't I wouldn't mind that. Like, I wouldn't be opposed to that. I'm not, I'm, if we end up getting an Olympic roster that drops tomorrow, dude, for some reason, and it happens to be like very split like that in some sense, yeah. I'm not going to be super, I'm not going to be one of these talking heads that's like, this is disaster. What does it mean? And then, and then, but you know, I think you and I are a little bit different. I think when it comes to a lot of talking heads in the space. So um, I, if anything, it's something that I would kind of embrace and tr try to see like, okay, well, what's, what does this really mean and what's going to happen here? And then there's also that concept of like high risk and high reward, right? What does it, what does it mean if tomorrow they drop an Olympic roster and it, it really is sort of split like that. And you've got so many young players or quote unquote unexperienced players and they go out and they win the whole damn thing. It's like right. going to be incredible, right? So it's like, or they you don't, some, but you're some. building on something, right? Yeah. Like that was, I think, one of the most disappointing things for a lot of people with the 2023. I mean, quote unquote, yeah. disappointment, not failure, but disappointment yeah. in the World Cup is it was like, okay, so what did we learn here? What mm -hmm. did we build? Like, obviously, yeah. there were bright spots, right? I mean, I think you look at the defense, Germa, um, yeah. especially the the central defense. You know, Germa is a huge bright spot. Um, and, and I think, you know, you look at the ongoing development, hopefully, that we might see from someone like Sophia Smith, Trinity Rahman, learning from those experiences. But the team looks braver now. I mean, it's a little bit easier yeah. to say against maybe some of this group stage competition, but I thought it was very clever how they retained the two defensive midfielders while making it, like, very attacking. I was like, oh, that's a twist I wasn't necessarily expecting. We're keeping the two defensive midfielders, but we're moving into this really attacking formation. Um so I'm, ball, I, I'm, a, I'm with stuff. it. I mean, we're, we're the same. We want it to be creative. We want it to be brave. Uh, we're fine with some failures. Like if that Laro cat yeah. bomb had gone in and that, in that Argentina game, like, it's like all the better sick. game on. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I, know, um, I like so it. So, so let's talk about the, the longtime veterans. Cause I think a lot of people are asking this. Well, I mean, they were asking this question at the end of 2023. This yeah. is one of the big questions, especially in the face of the me official injury is Ugh. Alex Morgan was brought back into the squad. And I feel I'm going to repeat something that I feel like I've been saying over and over and over again, which is that I feel like Alex Morgan has been put in a difficult position. Yeah. Man, um, yeah. <laughs> and, and so, and so aren't we all, you know, um, came in last minute as an injury replacement. I mean, you don't want to place too much symbolism into it, but you can't think of more of maybe a symbolic look at what this actually is as like the Alex Morgan number seven. This is not like, uh, penned in starter Alex Morgan 13. This is like, oh, we kind of got a fresh slate. And it seems like that's been positive for team and for player a little bit. She's got two goals in two games, one from the penalty spot, uh, one from open play. Um, maybe just thoughts there of 
Alex Morgan put into a difficult position, kind of similarly maybe to the way that she was in some of the Andonofsky teams of 2022 and 2023. Yeah. What do you think is making it easier for her to execute in this system? I hate to be this way because I don't like to be one that dwells in the past, but sometimes the job requires that. But I think yeah. people forget a little bit coming out of that 2023 World Cup that a lot of what we heard, whether it was on the like media, game day, press conferences side of things, or even in content all around the World Cup, you know, in, in their Netflix documentary, what whatever, everything that we heard coming out of that 2023 World Cup, we un- unfortunately heard from players specifically that um, there just wasn't a lot of communication in terms of identifying roles, um, perhaps maybe some cross wires in terms of game plan. And I think people forget a little bit in combination with the fact that there were some young players on that roster, that there were some, a ton of players, like majority of the roster that had never been to a world cup. I think people forget in that, um, sort of collection of things that the veterans were also, there were veterans who were also part of that team. And that included a Megan Rapino, that included an Alex Morgan. And I think if, if you're hearing player narrative that there was some mixed communication or misunderstanding of roles that I think that's actually across the board there. So yeah. I would say what's different from then to now might be that there's a little bit better communication, that there's a bit more clarity in terms of player roles, responsibilities, and things that they're being asked of um so i think kind of moving fast forward these five months later or six months later that that twyla kilgore has sort of been at at the face of this team i think we're starting to see that and maybe we need to give her a little some you know applause for that a little bit or a little bit of praise in terms of getting these players kind of back in that mindset and locked into those those types of things. Um, I think we're starting to see it. Like we're hearing a lot coming out of this group stage of Gold Cup that players are, you know, we're hearing freedom. We're hearing fluidity. We're hearing fun. Yeah. You know, we're hearing all these yeah. like buzzwords that is like a collective messaging of this, these teams. And I would include Alex and, Morgan in that. So And they credit, they credit Kilgore constantly for being a clear communicator, which does feel, yeah. again, not pointed. They're not making a point, but it is noticeable to them because it is a change. Change is yeah. noticeable to people, right? And so you can tell that there's that change in the way they're being communicated with. 100%. Um, I agree with that. Yeah. Um, obviously, it would be great for the U.S. to have a 100% healthy, open competition from like all available center forwards going into the Olympics. It seems like that's not going to be the case. Obviously, unfortunately, Mia official is no longer going to be part of that group. Who knows kind of what the goal is for Katarina Macario. I, if there's yeah. anything I know about Emma Hayes, it's that they're not going to do anything that, that threatens that yeah. player's long-term health. Um, we don't know kind of where someone like Ashley Hatch sits. Maybe she's kind of a more similar, like, let's see what you can do in the league. And to be completely honest, I don't really know even who is on the radar for that fourth, fifth, sixth mm-hmm. in line. Yeah. Smith, probably. They, they start bringing those mm-hmm. wide players in or players who can play centrally that are already in the system. Um, but I, I'll go on record here and say that I think that Alex Morgan still has a lot to give to the United States. And I don't think that that means that she has to play exactly like she did 10 years ago. Yep. Um, but she's a smart player. She's got a lot of experience. And I think this doesn't have to be a 2023 redux with new leadership. That's my stance. Ditto. Um, (laughs) Yeah. 
Oh, yeah. See, this is why I like you on the podcast, Andrew, is we agree on things. Yep, that's right. (laughs) Just talking formational stuff with the U.S. before we kind of wrap up this part. Um, Other things I liked, I liked how they're using their wide players a lot Mm -hmm. more. Um, I think we saw Midge Purse do do very well with her skill set in the first game. Casey Kruger, I think, in the attack was really impressive in the second game. Um, That cross she sent in... (laughs) Oh my for, god! Uh, dude. For her assist was it was. So you want to nice. talk yeah. about? You want to talk, 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 show... talk about? Yeah, talk about the width. Talk about the width, Sandra. I was going to say you want to talk a little bit about like showing love to Alex Morgan. My literal reaction. Yeah. I'll expose myself watching this game because you and I have been here before, my dude. This is not unfamiliar territory for you and I when we see Casey Kruger have good games, and yet there's question marks, and we're like, why is why are so many not seeing what we are seeing? So when Kruger delivers this delicious dime and Alex Morgan puts it away, I literally said, thank you, Alex Morgan, for delivering for Casey Kruger. Because there have been like multiple games, I think, at this point where we've seen Casey Kruger involved. And and while she's got good service and she's uh, a fullback that is capable of getting involved in the attack, Maybe there have been games where attackers haven't been able to get on the ends of those balls. And unfortunately, that maybe doesn't necessarily harm the attackers. That maybe harms the fullback's chances. Um, And so seeing this happen in real time, that was my immediate reaction. I was like, thank you, Alex Morgan, for delivering for Casey Kruger. Um, But I loved it. Uh, in in the short answer, I'm I'm loving what we're seeing in terms of the adjustments for small taxes. I think that's been one of my favorite things coming out of this. Is like, what was it? What did it all mean? What did we all see? Is it a yeah. fluctuating three bag? Is it actually kind of a four bag, or is it like really a two bag with like, you know, all I this was like, so I, if, I we if we don't if we don't know all the better, yeah, yes, exactly. that's what makes it like if we don't even know. Yeah, I was like, oh, that actually makes this awesome. You know, there was a moment yeah. there where I thought like, oh, is this actually just like the the four, two, three, one still, except it actually has like confidence now and it actually has freedom and fun and players feel good about it. Is that really what we're just seeing? Cause we heard Twyla Kilgore talk about that a lot. Like they, they wanted to build off of that Sweden game. It was that four, two, three, one. They were progressing the ball. It felt good to them. Then they just didn't get the result. Like, so is that what we're still seeing, but it's just confident and, and fun. You know, I don't know. Um, I think we got a couple more games that we got to take a look at to, to really see, or maybe it's all of it. Maybe it's all the above. Maybe that's what's also really fun about this gold cup too, is that we're seeing their ability to be so fluid. Yeah. And, and it does seem like there's a good sense in camp that this is not the be all end all. We saw some players really start to feel the pressure last yeah. year. And I think probably the messaging is obviously um, this is very important. These are very important games, but the world will not end if you misplace a pass. The world will not end if you miss a shot. And I think that that's what we were Correct. looking for. Um, all right. Final, final U.S. question. Uh, all right. So let's pour some water on this now. Yeah, Is there anything? It's a small sample size. I know. I know. Small sample size. Small sample size. Is there anything that you've seen in the first two games that gives you some cause? Not for like concern, mm-hmm. but just, okay, this looks a little bit like what we saw last year or these are things that they still haven't necessarily improved on a ton. I think for me, it's so yeah. obvious, but just like putting it in the back of the net, right? We're still seeing kind of some some struggles to close games yeah. out, to, to pile games on. You know this as well as anybody because you guys are, are broadcasting the whole tournament, but yeah. they're receding in the, in the knockouts, right? So yes. every goal counts. 
Um, differential. It's a wild time. Gotta yeah. So, so is there anything where you're just like, Ugh, I don't know if we're seeing a ton of progress just yet? Yeah. I think for me, the biggest, the, especially coming out of game one, I thought it was like the, the goal scoring. I thought it was a finishing. I think again, we're throwing, this is a part where we get to be haters, but at the same time, it's like, I can't help but think <laughs> in the back of my mind where so many of these players are in preseason and it felt that game kind yeah. of felt preseasony a little bit. Um, you know, it was tragedy for players specifically, but for all of us as well, who wanted to see me official get ripping and roaring in this gold cup i'm devastated that we're not going to get to see her go up against mexico i would have loved to have seen that um but yeah. she suffers the acl injury um morgan gets called in last minute and then on top of that you've got even less players who are in season you know she was one of what four players playing in europe right now so that's even one yeah. less player who's not and then on top of that they didn't have her in to start you know and, and it was just corbin and so I was like, okay, there's some of this is kind of preseasoning, and surely they will kind of get things going. But I think for all of the fun stuff that we're watching in that final third, uh, everything that we're seeing kind of in a attacking sense, I, I selfishly still kind of want to see some conversion of some of these goals. Um, I think when we're looking at and talking about um, versatility, maybe in regards to someone like uh, Shaw and having that be her X factor, well, for players like a Smith or maybe a Rodman, that's something yeah. that, you know, kind of propelled them onto that 2023 roster for the World Cup. You know, is that still going to be what does it for them come the Olympics? So it was good. To, it, I mean, look, it was good to see Robin getting touches on the ball. I would I would argue that Sophia Smith needs to get more of them at this point in the tournament. Yeah. Um. So maybe more touches for Smith and some more goals, honestly. Yeah, I agree with that completely. I think um, if there are, this is this is not to be too down on any individual player because everything you said is 100% correct. They're in preseason. They've only had a couple weeks in camp. Um, but you want to see everyone involved, right? And I think obviously the two big names there are, are Trinity Rodman and Sophia Smith, and they've got plenty of games to get going. Yeah. But um, you don't want, I mean, maybe my big thesis on Smith, especially and Morgan is you don't want the center forward position to be a completely thankless job, right? I think yeah. it was built in that way, in a way in 2023, where they were almost being told, like, you're going to go grind it out. You're going to create space for your teammates. You're just going to go suffer, suffer ball, right? Yeah. Um, and I think this new look U.S. doesn't want it to be that way. So I'm, I'm hopeful to see that for Smith in, in addition to what we saw um, with Morgan yeah. finding, finding her spaces as well. Yeah. And um, I want to keep the shutouts. I want to see the defense still... Yeah. deliver in that aspect so no goals 100 <laughs> percent. yeah i want to keep it i want to keep it attacking football but also yeah don't let it get too end to end because as we saw with mexico against dominican republic they can they can put a few past you yeah um so you've been watching the whole tournament because you guys are like i said you guys are the the broadcast partners for this in the u.s um let's just talk big picture real quick uh we have um I mean, we already know some of these teams advancing we've seen some of these regular heavy hitters do well right um canada is is pouring goals yep. in, in in group c uh brazil has two wins in two games in group b in, including a, a an impressive tight win over colombia um who for you maybe just totally big picture standout team for you I, I think the Colombia result against Brazil was an interesting one. Cause I think after round one, we would have been like, Oh, Colombia, they're, yeah. they're rocking. And then now you're like, Oh, okay. Well, uh, not entirely sure exactly what this means for knockouts. So do you have not a favorite necessarily, but who have you liked on both ends of the ball the most, I guess is maybe the question. 
Yeah, I think uh, recency bias. I think I, I liked both sides of the ball. United States has been looking really good to me. Um, not to knock Canada on what they've been producing, um, but similarly to the 2022 World Cup qualifiers, I feel like they got a group that has favored them once again. And yeah, uh, that's exact, I think that's exactly what I thought. Yeah, I think it's <laughs> shocking, right? It's I think it's yeah. uh, I think it's also benefiting them again in this goal in this gold cup. Uh, that's not to be disrespectful to the teams that are currently in their group with them. But, you know, I've, I've been looking for um, a response from Costa Rica for some time. I think they struggled in 2023. They got a new coach. There's going to need some, there's going to be a period of time where they need to finally get the things going. And you've got um, Paraguay and El Salvador who are good teams, but are also first timers in this sort of kind of built uh, makeup of a tournament in the CONCACAF region. So um, I like what Bev Priestman is doing. I think on their side, they're also utilizing this tournament for some tinkering. They are showing us that they are not trying to be the same old stale Canada again, which I appreciate. But, but I got to see it in the knockouts. So I'm going to give the edge to the United States who have impressed me in terms of both sides of the ball. And um, I, I think I would also throw Brazil into that Canada category where it's just like, I need to see something else before I'm really saying this is like a two to four team runaway tournament. Because right now it's looking like all USA. Yeah, I will say that the one thing I like about Brazil are the two shutouts. I think that yeah. that, you know, that's a good, especially that that data point against Colombia. And we've mentioned on the podcast before, you know, Colombia is their rotation is slightly different because they also just don't have their first choice stars with them. So they have to do a lot of uh, minutes management for some of their their top talents. But um, yeah, I like Brazil. I like what Brazil's doing. I think I like their roster, too. They're also tinkering. I like mm-hmm. this tournament. It feels like everyone's just kind of cooking in yeah. the kitchen right Brazil's- now, you know, like whipping up. Whipping up Bra- different combos, you know? Brazil's also like a little preseasony. They've got so many Brazilians in mm-hmm. NWSL, so they're like out of out of season. It's gonna be interesting to see like who is the team that gets stronger in the knockouts, you know? Yeah, hundred percent. Um, and then yeah, just final final big picture question about Gold Cup, and maybe we can do this kind of hand in hand because I don't think we can talk about gold cup without talking about probably Puerto Rico, right? And just yep. what we've seen from them in this tournament. And I think you, you've talked about this a little bit, um, and I, I definitely feel this very strongly. When we talk about what this Gold Cup is for, and when we're talking about these top teams who have already qualified for the Olympics, we are talking about, like, this is for roster construction. This is for trying out different formations. It's for winning, but it's also for all these other things. But the Gold Cup, in terms of its existence and how deep it goes into the CONCACAF region – and maybe even hopes of expansion in the future, or it would be cool. I mean, I don't want to go too far. I'm like, wouldn't it be cool if this was World Cup no, Olympic qualifying it. someday? Like those kinds of things, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, tell me your impressions of what you have seen in terms of opportunity for teams that did not have a tournament like this in the past. I want more of it. I want more of it because we're seeing what it means for a program like like Puerto Rico. I want more of it because we're seeing what it means for even a program like El Salvador and Dominican Republic. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm already ready for, you know, this is supposed to be a competition that is every four years. Um, and I'm all ready for the next one to expand just a little bit. I'm all ready to, yeah. I'm, I'm ready for there to be 10 CONCACAF teams involved instead of eight, you know, maybe we keep these four Goldman invites and maybe we figure out how to invite a couple of other teams, whether you want those from other federations or wherever. Um, so I, I think 
its whole purpose, like the Gold Club's whole existence and purpose was to make sure that there was this marquee, singular, like kind of flagship major competition built for and by the region. And by extension, having qualifiers that built up to that for teams that did not make it to this point, whether that's a Suriname, right, or St. Kitts and Nevis or a Bermuda, all the, the islands, you know, the Caribbean yep. teams that don't often get together, that don't often get an opportunity to play in tournament style um, competitions. That's that's its whole purpose is to expand competition for the region. And I am so happy that it's here and that it's arrived because we're coming off of a World Cup where people thought we were crazy, dude. We were like, you know what? There just might be six CONCACAF teams in the 2023 yep. World Cup. And then we were correct in that yep. because there were. And so it's like you can't you can't lose that mo. You can't lose that momentum. Can't let it go. And so now here we are in 2024 and we're getting to see a little bit more of it. And um, we're also, I think, getting a chance to see. Again, we got to throw water on it. We're also getting a chance to see what it means for, for other programs to not um, take control of that moment or to take ownership yeah. of the opportunity in front of them. I'm sure we can have a whole other late sub episode about our disappointment um, in Jamaica's federation and not getting yeah. their women's team prepared. And, and um, part of this tournament, I think obviously there's timing involved with injuries and things like that for Haiti. So we're not seeing them in this tournament. They, they went up against a Puerto Rico team that is rising and it's giving, yeah. it's honestly, dude, it's been giving me like shades of Panama in the, um, build up to the World Cup qualifiers in 2019, where you see a team yep. young coming up together and finally they they intersect with the right time and right opportunity. And we got to see Yeneth Bailey introduced to the world. And now we're starting to see Sydney Martinez for Puerto Rico. Mm -hmm. So it's like you see these different these different moments, you see these these rising tides and maybe some of these, you know, falling ships left behind, which is not a good thing. It's important for us to continue to talk about those teams who aren't here because they're, they're here for, re they're not here for a reason or other. So um, I'm loving what we're seeing from Puerto Rico. I'm uh, loving, you know, Brenda set in with El Salvador and what she is presenting, you know, for, for this team. Um, so it's been a great opportunity for, I think a lot of eyeballs to get exposed to maybe some other players from other leagues that they don't typically take a look at. Um, and so I'm hopeful that gold cup continues to have success and that it expands in the future even. Yeah, do you, do you one more? I, I agree with all of that wholeheartedly, and I think maybe the one other thing I would add is um, we talk a lot in the women's game about um, potential for growth, right? And I think you just mm -hmm. you just took it on the competitive side because there's so much room for growth on, on the competitive side and, and the resource side in terms of investing in these teams. Um, but obviously, you'd want to see CONCACAF maybe recognize that, oh, maybe this could be a cool fan experience too let's market yeah. this a little mm -hmm. bit more um, they've struggled they've always struggled with their qualifying tournaments to kind of make it yep. a premier experience for for fans even just to know that it's happening um or, or pick picking locations maybe even outside the u.s where we think that fans would would come through and, and want to see their teams play um and so i would say that you know, when we're talking about building up programming, we're building up in a way, you know, counter programming to other regions in the world. That's a part of it, too. Um, and I think it would be amazing for CONCACAF, who really does run a lot of this. They are in charge yeah. of of so much of this uh, in a way that the individual federations, like, for example, the U.S. is not um, for this particular tournament. Would love to see that opportunity uh, 
you would see that growth and the recognition of of how that can also can also grow. Well, Sandra, I I could talk to you all day, as you know, Same we could chit chat forever about soccer and beyond. Um, but why don't you tell the good people uh, where they can find you uh, for the rest of the Gold Cup and uh, in the future? Yeah, if you want to like tune in to the rest of this incredible tournament, make sure you catch all the games across CBS Sports platform. Yeah, have I mentioned Paramount that it's Plus. on Paramount Plus? Yeah, it is actually on Paramount Plus. Uh, you can catch uh, some games as well for free on CBS Sports Plus Network. So make sure that you take a look at all of our how to watches. Those are always up there and burning on CBSSports.com. And uh, of course, we're also doing all sorts of game day coverage. So make sure you are following Attacking Third. We also have a, a, a little podcast of our own alongside the Late Sub. So uh, make sure you follow wherever you can for all your uh, women's soccer content. Fabulous. Thanks, Sandra. Thank you. So thank you again to Sandra for joining us. Good chat. Lots to talk about. We will have knockout rounds to discuss next week. This has been the state of the U.S. Women's National Team. This has been the state of the Gold Cup. Stay tuned. We will have more on some other sports later this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. This has been The Late Subject.